Hello, and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out in addition to self-published works. I have a master's degree in art education. And I'm a PhD student at the University of Florida's English program. Uh, my research focuses on trans embodiment and experience in comics and zines and museum studies. And I also make mostly self-published comics. Um, and it's my episode, so I guess I'm going to take us into the Yeah, go for it. I mean, you you wrote um, words here, and I was like, ooh, is Remus writing me a script? But I assume it's for you. Well, I copied, <laughs> I, I, if I'm being honest, I just copied what you did when we had Ross. Um, this because... is basically Ross, but it's another person. <laughs> um, we have a special guest today. Uh, Fee, can you um, introduce yourself and your like areas of study, what you do, like your work? Sure, thank you. Hi, folks. Uh, I'm Fee Stewart-Taylor. I'm a PhD candidate in the University of Florida's, Florida's English program. Uh, I am also the, uh, I've started calling myself the zine specialist uh, at the Civic mm. Media Center, <laughs> an info shop and community library. So a lot of my work is about uh, how texts can produce communities and how communities can produce and express identities through publication, particularly self-publication. And Great. I have a question. How do you two know each other? <laughs> well, there's this, this, this funny coincidence you might have heard. Uh, through, th- actually through Twitter, but uh, through mm-hmm. the University of Florida. Um, I think through you first, though. I think you told us to talk over Twitter. Yeah, when I first got into UF, uh, Kathy was like, I know someone who's going to UF. You guys should talk. And that's, I think, the inciting incident. Well, I feel like you're, you're, you, you two would have found each other. <laughs> Mm. of my personal intervention (laughs) what could you possibly mean (laughs) who knows at uf right it's a big school Um, yeah so you are in the same is it the same phd program yes okay so how long how big is your cohort Different cohorts or we we have different entrance years uh and Mm -hmm. the, the program is shrinking so I don't know how big it is now. I know that there's um, slightly fewer admits. Mm-hmm. It used to be yeah. 25 per cohort, ho- uh, cohort. So I think Fee, you and me both had cohorts of around 25. Um, but yeah, you're right. It has been getting smaller since then. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. I took over. Go ahead, Remus. No, you're good. That's a good question. Yeah. So that's how we know each other is through um, our, our somewhat related studies at UF. And we, I, we invited Fee to chat with us about um, basically like trans representation in comics or like how transness is like depicted in comics. Um, this is a topic that we have talked about before that we will talk about again because <laughs> it is of great interest to us. But uh, I think FST's work is really uh, useful and relevant for like thinking through this idea. So do you want me to just sort of jump into some of the questions I wrote out, FST, or...? Sure, that sounds good. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how much of a, an answer I have to these, but I think, you know, they're great questions to think with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, we never need a hard and fast answer to things, but um, I wanted to sort of start out by just like establishing a baseline of like what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, so I wanted to ask like how you would describe like trans representation in comics and zines or like in general, if that's easier. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that because representation is 
like a site of, of significant dispute, right? About what is uh, representation and particularly what makes good representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the baseline might be any depiction of a trans person is a representation, right? In the sense mm-hmm. of representational art. Um, I think that within sort of different communities uh, of trans people on and offline, you have different patterns of discussion about like, what does it mean to have authentic representation, right? So representation Mm -hmm. in some way meaningfully reflects the experiences of, you know, parenthetically some trans people, right? Because it's always some, there's never an all. Um, What does it mean to have representation that particularly uh, supports trans liberation in some way and to which audience are trans people being represented in the work, right? Right. Is it for an audience of cis people who need to understand that trans people are just like you and me, but sometimes they look in mirrors and then they have like an emotional flashback sequence? (laughs) (laughs) Is it for an audience of, you know, trans people in potentia? Is it for, you know, people who, who need to understand transness in order to participate in trans communities in some way, or trying to crack a bunch of eggs here? Or... (laughs) Uh, is the the idea to have representation that speaks to the concerns of trans people in the trans community about how they they see each other and themselves and, and talk within that community. Mm-hmm. So I think representation is more of a set of questions about who is being represented to whom, by whom, uh, and, and to what end, right? I think mm-hmm. representation is um, is about like who's participating in the discussion. And uh, then the question is like, who's setting the terms of those discussions? So when we talk about representation in comics, you know, comics isn't one thing. It's a series of overlapping markets and social scenes, right? And representation yeah. mm. in web comics is going to be one, one slice, right? Where there's mm-hmm. um, much more production autonomy, uh, whereas representation in like the somewhat misnomed, incorrectly named, I guess, big two, Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is a whole different question, but like who's who's in that audience and is that audience decided by participation, by marketing demographics, by a desire to draw in new consumers? Like there's a whole whole slice of different questions about like which comics, right? Yeah, no, that's uh, obviously I phrased this question to be sort of big on purpose, but um, I think you're, you're right to that like part of this project is when you look at like who's saying it, it's also like in the medium, right? So like if it's like you said, a mainstream comic like Marvel or DC or even like big five graphic novels, right? Like those are books that are going through marketing teams and are like, there's like a different way of, there's a different set of production limitations than someone, than like a, a zine, right? Or like even like a indie press, small press type of situation. Yeah. Um, this is this is very interesting as someone whose trans character in her graphic novel from one of the big five was specifically called out by the editors and was told to shit change. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think you mentioned that before. Have you mentioned that before on the podcast or I don't know if I have, but basically, yeah, they they wanted to control, they wanted me to make sure that I use like very specific language mm-hmm. that I, when I was talking about a trans character. Um, they wanted me it, at first I was asked to remove the trans character. Mm-hmm. And then I said, no, 
I shall not be doing that. And then they wanted me to be very specific with the language because they it was exactly as Fi was just saying, the audience intention was kids who might not know the language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think that's interesting too with the the um like the stakes of representation. It gets when you're thinking about that relationship, it's um how do I say like it's it's easy for me at least sometimes to like fall into the mindset of like oh um you know there's a more like utopic impulse in like DIY representation right because because it's like not controlled by a company but y- you are like every time you see that like in a mainstream book there is a level of like okay the author had to like there's probably like negotiation happening here right or like the smaller things in bigger companies represent often like people having to fight really hard but that also isn't like and that's not a defense of like big corporations or anything more just thinking about the nexus of like being an artist trying to do that work especially like a trans artist trying to do that work in having to make those like um negotiations and it's interesting because i think because of how clear i had to be with that language is also probably why (laughs) my book has been banned (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in all sorts of different districts <laughs> is because I very specifically use the word trans and I very specifically talk about pronouns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm certainly the last person who will be like, and this is maybe tipping my handle on the topic a little bit, but we'll be like, yeah, representation in mainstream properties is progress. Like that's, that's not <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do think there's that question of like, when these topics enter the kinds of properties where, where artists are able to make uh, money, um, right, are able to be paid as workers rather mm-hmm. than swapping for stamps, which, you know, is probably much more utopic, right? But, like, how do we understand that that labor component of, like, mm. doing representation as well? Um, and I think there's there's a weird element to that with the social mediafication of, of all things, right, where the... Yeah performance of being someone who does good representation is probably also bleeding into these DIY spaces a Mm -hmm. bit, right? Mm. Or or in some ways, perhaps originating in it, right? Where there's the idea of like, I am going to make a representation of transness that is so good. uh, (laughs) that It means that I'm morally, you know, good as well. And I, Mm. I understand that project, right? I think there's a lot of, a lot of space to be sympathetic with that project, but that's why I think detangling these threads and when you sort of encounter something that is representing transness going like what are the labor concerns that went into this Mm -hmm. what are the decision making concerns you know what is the the project behind this and then who are the different people contesting it or or performing um a relationship to it yeah and I also wanted to sort of think about um what if, if there's anything unique about depicting transness in comics which I ask mostly because I know like I'm, I don't know if you've encountered this before, Fee, but I find a lot of um, analysis of comics often like emphasizes the uniqueness of comics as a medium, mm. um, t- whether that's uh, a good or bad assertion, <laughs> like, or aside. Yeah. Uh, you know, Frederick Wortham, I think, was a big believer in medium specificity. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our first episode. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't remember who was the first one. It was like one of the first. Yeah, it was a very early one where 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 I was like, oh, actually, I'm kind of on Wortham's side here. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
he's coming back. There was some wisdom discourse at a uh, comic studies society where for and against. Ooh, so. la la. That's the that's the convention you were at. It was it in Ann Arbor. Uh, it, so it's it's an academic conference, technically. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the difference is there weren't a lot of actual comic books there. Um, no, no artist alley. Although I think that's my my suggestion, maybe for all future conferences. Ooh. They did an artist alley at the the comic studies conference that I went to that one year that we went to together in Toronto. Oh I yeah, guess, yeah, they did. I guess they decided not to do it again. <laughs> Well, it was, you know, scaled down for COVID safety, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Sorry, go on. I just, uh, I'm always interested in getting specific about these things. Yes. Uh, no, that's a very good point. I should not uh, reference things and hanging. Yeah, the Comic Study Society is an academic conference um, and academic society that puts on the conference, right, uh, focused mm-hmm. on comic studies as a, a specific field, right? Maybe mm-hmm own set of disciplinary conventions and ideas even if they're contested ideas about like what comics are and what we do with them yeah which i think actually does segue us back into this idea that there is something unique about comics and that brings together comics sufficiently that we can you know all agree on which kinds of objects belong in the in the conference right Mm -hmm. Uh. um which I think, you know, very famously is uh, <laughs> not not the case, right? Like there's there's all kinds of squabbling or excuse me, sophisticated academic debate uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, over the definition of a comic, right? right. So um, I tend to opt for a social definition for comic, mm-hmm. right? Where anything that is received, circulated and published with the intention of like moving in comics audiences is, is a comic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's an imperfect definition in a lot of ways, but I find it easier than arguing about if like seriality is is necessary for comics or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of those definitions that sort of are privileging the particularly sequential aspect of comics share that that aspect in common with other art forms and the ones that argue about and this is sort of the Wortham argument again, right? The, mm-hmm. the visual uh, not precision but power of like just the the visual as such right that's mm-hmm. a wjt mitchell argument almost like the the theorist of like what do pictures want where mm-hmm. the idea is that um pictures and images are different in some categorical way than text so we see that sort of reheated in other ways or you know marshall McLuhan with his uh somewhat bizarre ideas about like the differences between looking cultures and hearing cultures or whatnot, right? Mm, yeah. So all of these different ideas seem to to land on the idea that there should be something in particular that that defines these things. Um, but none of them agree what that is. Right. So it's a good question. I think um and this loops back to sort of where Remus, you and I were talking about this earlier. I think mm-hmm. there is something interesting about um, drawing or uh, making images of, right? So this mm-hmm. would include uh, all, all kinds of image making practices, but where there is not a, a trace, right? That it's not like a photograph is, is meant to be, although of course this is... Um, disputed right but the the is it is this a sontag thing where it's like it, it's yeah of like a real thing in some way right it's a lot yeah. of a lot of um like 
Sontag, but also like in general, like a lot of people take analyze photography from that angle. Yeah. And I mean, I think Sontag is is very sensibly critical of taking that idea at face value, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think on photography is always a good nodding uh, reference point for this kind of thing, right? To think through these questions of like, if it is a trace of something or if it is a, a capture of something, what, is, what does any of that mean? Mm-hmm. But for our purposes, right? I think what's what's interesting about the image making practice claiming to be representation or being interpreted as representation Mm. is that generally there's not like an actual person who is being referenced there's not an actual Mm -hmm. body who's being which is being referenced so all of these stylization choices um all of the choices about which social events to include right because transition is is a deeply social process Mm -hmm. um end up being a kind of claim about what constitutes transness or what makes someone legible as trans. And that's where I think, and I don't think comics are unique in this, right? I think any, any image making or even really, I mean, I don't know if you write a story or not uh, referencing a body, right? But there's a little bit more of a claim to the, the, the image of a body refers back maybe in a more direct way to the the actual bodies of trans people because Mm. of those socially embedded assumptions that Sontag and others do a good job sort of picking apart and questioning um but there's still the the jump that gets made I think between the image the photograph and the reference right that Mm -hmm. that heightens this discourse a little bit more. I mean, the example I always think of is sort of the the guides to accurately drawing trans people, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this sort of actually, I had a question here I can sort of jump to, um, which is, we already started talking about this, but like how would or could someone define a drawing as a cisgender character or a transgender character, or like make a claim to a drawing's like sex shoot sex right at all because you those that's sort of what those claims are like staked on usually as a sort of a uh, uh and i'm borrowing sort of like your words here from your tweets about this but like you know a sort of like a some connected to a material assumption about like what bodies are right yeah that was that was part of um the inspiration to invite you <laughs> was <laughs> your comment about uh assigned drawing at birth <laughs> like, <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever read <laughs> uh, yeah I, I love a good uh ADAB joke or a, a, a <laughs> whatever at birth um I, I was talking to I'm, I'm just gonna go on a tangent briefly and y'all can either edit to that or we can come back but here go it is it. um yeah I mean part of the reason why I love those jokes right is that um there has been this flattening of the the potential uses of the description assigned, right? Which is mm-hmm. a, an instance and it describes a social behavior, but there's been this flattening back to it of it being like, actually, this is the truth of your body and everything else is, you know, re- resulting from this in some way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not how everybody's using it, um, but it, it does make it a, a sort of quite funny object. I mean, it's always been quite funny, right? I signed cop at birth quite funny. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's there's a range of these, which are um, that it's always going to be a, a sort of charming target because it, it lends itself so well to like an almost, like it, it's a good place to riff about essentialism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So not to like kill the joke by explaining it, but that is my favorite. No, go for it. Is like the structure of narrative comics allows this possibility of like drawing the act of assignment, right? Right. Like you, you have the possibility of doing that, or you have the possibility of drawing a body that is in some way referencing or is in, in conversation with uh, social assumptions that are generally made about uh, bodies that look like the drawing looks, right? Right. Uh, and I mean, you know, the only body that really looks like the drawings look is Flat Stanley, since they are two-dimensional, but um, <laughs> my two-dimensional <laughs> king, Flat Stanley. Uh, <laughs> real, real trans mask representation there. He's, he's a king. Um, <laughs> so... I think that, that that's like a, a site for, for doing that kind of riff in a really fun way because um, it, it invites us to think about like, what is the purpose of discussing that, that act of assignment and mm-hmm. uh, how does it, it fit into um, other questions about where that happens, right? Because the assignment at birth, and I was talking to my friend Nia about this um, on, on twitter.com, which is where I do all of my talking, um, <laughs> but that, you know, that's one assignment that happens, right? That's mm-hmm. one instance. But in fact, almost any time you, you interact with someone who you don't know, there's some kind of assignment that, that happens there as well, even if it's not assumptions about gender at birth, right? But about mm-hmm. different ways that they... Um, and this is where like pronoun circles and so on sort of come back in, right? As an attempt to, to counteract that assignment with instead a um, another kind of process, right? Um, mm-hmm. Voluntary self-identification. But even then, right, the assumption that what someone means by she or what someone means by they or Z is going to be legible, I think constitutes a kind of assignment process, right? It's just yeah. within an expanded social sphere. So when you look at something like comics um, or when you look at like a drawing, is the reader performing a kind of assignment based on the same set of mm. social cues that they already have access to? Mm-hmm. And is the narrative structure then able to challenge, affirm, I think often, or um, how does the creator then, right, the person who's doing the the, the labor of making the thing, um, draw on and navigate those assumptions to make what either what they intended legible, right, mm-hmm. or to uh, use that set of assumptions in, in sort of challenging or surprising ways. Um, or does the publisher say, no, I need you to, to use it in, in this particular way, right? So I think the the act of assignment there um, becomes more more visible and more interesting. Uh, interesting is the wrong word, but more more visible and more perhaps available to to think about explicitly mm-hmm. because you know it, it there's not a body there, right? There's yeah. not a body. Uh, so any any gendering of that body is a kind of sort of explicit assignment. Um, mm-hmm. It's just either happening because the reader knows a set of cues and is reading that set of cues onto the body, or it's happening because, you know, the text box says, you know, this is a trans person, or uh, I was born whatever. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was born whatever is, I think, a compelling addition. Assign whatever. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's whatever. What I found really interesting is it's so funny how much as I cartoonist and a comic book reader myself how rare i actually think about comic books being drawings mm-hmm. <laughs> like i don't i mean obviously i'm thinking about the quality of the drawing as i'm reading it i choose comics based on whether i like the drawing whether it's like legible to me whether i 
you know, it appeals to me. But sure. I don't think about once I'm in the story, I don't think about the drawings as drawings. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's fun to have an academic. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's part of the, the the thing of it as well, and why people get so invested in this conversation, right? Is that a lot of the time the convention of narrative reading, right? And I'm not gonna like pull a Laura Mulvey here and be like, let's talk about the conventions of the, the psychoanalysis of narrative comics, although someone should do that and that could be really fun. Um but like the the conventions of it is that we do read it with a certain level of um, investment in mm-hmm. what I guess is conventionally called suspension of disbelief, right? Or mm-hmm. of um, the the conventions of that style of reading are not to say, oh, there's a drawing, there's a drawing, there's a drawing, there's a drawing. They're to say, there's that character. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm thinking about that character in a narrative way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's my buddy, Superman. <laughs> think that's really because two things but I don't know if I will remember but the second by I get to by the time I get to it but um when I when I was an undergrad in my senior year um I and a few other people were doing comics for a senior thesis and our professors were illustrators who didn't really have a background in comics and so in critiques they would treat each panel as like an individual drawing um <laughs> and it was like it's interesting to hear you like talk about, you know, when we're reading a comic, the narrative sort of, you're not like, you know, you're not like reading the drawings in that way, because I remember like, we would get like so annoyed because their critiques would always just be like, well, these drawings are of this. And then if you look at them all together, there's a story and we'd be like, right, that's, that's comic. That is comic actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's part of why I think it's important to identify that like comics reading is a set of social practices, right? Because that's not, the only or an obvious way to to read these things right Right. um and there's all kinds of like abstract comics that play with that in different ways um but like the convention of narrative comics for people who know the the practices there um or who sort of intuit them in different ways right i don't think you have to sit a child down and say okay now don't count every picture of spider-man as if it's 300 different spider-men on the page It's true. Kids, kids do have a hard time with that. Like ages five or so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. I did not know that. I perhaps should have known that, but oh. I don't. I don't know a lot of children. Um. I, <laughs> it's like it's like a it's a child development thing. Mm-hmm. And as like someone who's taught a lot of kids comic books, it's around six years old that they can understand like sequencing. Mm. Like any age on, younger than that, I would give them like a six panel. Like I would. I never ask kids to draw the boxes because that's so annoying. So I would give them six page, six panels on a page. And then I would be like, okay, draw a story. And then they would draw the same jellyfish. This is a very specific kid, but it's a good example. The same jellyfish in each one. And then I was like, okay, what happens to the jellyfish? And he's like, okay, well, the jellyfish gets sick. And then he changed all six to being sick. And then he would tell me the next part of the story and he would change all six to convey the next part because it's the actually the act of drawing that's telling the story not i'm drawing a story for someone else in the future to read yeah (laughs) that's something they only start to get at around six years old from my interesting first do you remember how the jellyfish got sick i would like to know some details about (laughs) the sickness of jellyfish i don't know (laughs) 
My guess is someone in his family or him had recently gotten sick, so he was like processing something. Yeah, no, I was just curious if the jellyfish burfed. Oh, oh, if they did end up, the page did end up with six like blacked out panels at the end. So maybe the jellyfish burfed. Okay, I'm gonna keep that close to my heart. I just wanted to know. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I, I don't know. I lived for a little bit with a, a kid, um, like my roommate at the time, so my housemate at the time's kid. Um, and the the kid would always ask about my comics and would be like, "Well, how do you? How do, at what point was like, how do you read this?" And I was like, "Well, conventionally, you start in this corner and you move to this corner." And this kid was nine, maybe, so was a was able to read sort of baby beginner chapter books, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and was like well what if you start in the middle and I was like yeah you can do that if you want they were like but then it won't make sense and I'm like well if you don't want it to make sense start there uh (laughs) they were sort of able to get the concept but they were it was also clearly a concept they were like actively working through in some Mm -hmm. way where they were like well what happens if I don't do it right um Mm. which is also just a delicious question for all of us to think about right like what happens (laughs) if I don't read this right um and I think particularly in terms of representation, right? Because mm-hmm. there's uh, there's space to think about things like um, head cannons on on characters in that way, right? Of mm-hmm. like, if you read the the sexing of the drawn body wrong on purpose, um, right? Like trans head cannons and right. So these are all like social practices that come out of uh, a set of sort of ideas about how you read comics, not just like top to bottom, left to right, but also mm-hmm. like you're supposed to relate to the characters in particular ways. You're not supposed to go, uh, there is Spider-Man who is a drawing who represents some ideas about geek masculinity that are faintly outdated, but like, let's continue working through that process. You're supposed to go, there's Peter Parker. He's a loser and I'm a loser or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So the, I think relatability is always like lurking. And I know Remus, this is a hot button for both B and me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the set of social practices by which you, you sort of, have investment in these these characters um and work through what representation like what the political stakes of representation are or the like personal affective stakes Mm -hmm. of being good or bad representation are those are also sets of of ideas about how you work through a a drawing right i think the example that I, i have the most fun with is Sort of the various Twitter memes declaring straight couples T for T because the man is short. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, you could do that, I think, with with a range of comic characters. Um, mm-hmm. I think well, any couple Wolverine is in is sort of ripe for this one. Um, <laughs> he's, what, 5'4 or whatever? Um, we love a short king. Right. So <laughs> there's this, this set of what I would almost call like parallel assumptions or parallel conventions about representation right Mm -hmm. that are embedded in the social process that then sits on top of or or meshes in different ways with the social conventions of reading these these other comics right or reading reading these comics uh but from a like if not a resistant reader standpoint because we can we can get into like resistant readers versus um uh, other other styles of reading right Mm -hmm. but yeah it it doesn't stop at the idea that like the the way you read conventionally is the order of reading and the recognition that there is a a narrative uh process through which you're supposed to you know invest in ways that are a little bit like 
um, you know, poetics. Right. Where it's like, let's all, let's all buckle <laughs> up until we get to catharsis. Right. Um, I want to, um, I want to use this to transition into um, your presentation on early mm. trans web comics. I know that you did a conference presentation recently on early trans web comics, right? You said it's like trans comics before the tipping point was the title. That was the title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about I think that? The idea was that with the transgender tipping point, which was declared on the cover of time magazine in June of 2014 with a uh, photo of liver and Cox, um, the transgender tipping point, America's next civil rights frontier. Um, so, you know, anyone could obviously get into all of the, the juicy stuff about like frontier as the metaphor there, right? But we'll, mm-hmm. we'll let it pass for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and say that at that point, and specifically building up around, I think, um, Orange is the New Black as sort of the, the very public site for this, a new set of conventions, of social conventions about what representation of trans people and about trans people's inclusion in particularly media, right, Mm -hmm. meant for society. Um, And this is where I think there's sort of this conflation of representation in the sense of making an image, right, in media particularly or in art, and representation in the sense of political representation and inclusion in social and, and political spheres, right? Yeah. Crash into each other in sort of a funny way because calling uh, the transgender saving point America's next civil rights frontier, but specifically because Laverne Cox was in a TV show um, is a really interesting question. Is like, is inclusion in TV shows a civil rights frontier? Because uh, that's the the sort of messaging of that cover in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the article itself, to my recollection, gets much more into questions of like actual civil inclusion. But the inciting incident is this idea that representation in media constitutes a kind of meaningful civil participation. And this was like a to our younger listeners, Orange Is the New Black was huge. Yeah, it was, it was like the first Netflix television show. Mm-hmm. And that was like the change of streaming, making their own content, which is now like that's who is making content at mm-hmm. the top dogs. Um, but that was a big deal is that this television show was completely 100 percent only built for streaming. Um, and then it included Laverne Cox. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that, because I'd forgotten the, the streaming component of it, because I sure did not have Netflix at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Orange is the New Black was a, was a phenomenon, for yeah, sure. It radically changed Netflix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And all the other streaming platforms, and it's radically changed a lot of other things. But I think the fact that that is the television show that she was in is like a big part of how, her stardom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I'm not, okay, let me, let me, (laughs) let me walk back a little bit, because I don't want to say that participation in media or representation in media doesn't constitute an important way of being seen in civil society, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the jump to worrying about particular kinds of representation being good, adequate, authentic, genuine, sufficient is in part because of that conflation, right? So what I was looking for when I did this webcomics presentation uh, was what were some of the ways of self-representation before that narrative that came down from Mm. this is what depiction of trans people in media 
good depictions of trans mm-hmm. people, thoughtful depictions of trans people, intersectional depictions of trans people should look like, right? Which is, I think, some of how that, that discourse came down where the trans tipping point provided a narrative structure, a set of conventions for talking about trans inclusion in media. So what did it look like before that? And how did webcomics as a another sort of sea change, although not a comparable one uh, to the streaming phenomena, probably? Um, Although we'll see, Webtoons is really making things different, right? Yeah. But like, how how did that change? Um, what, what was there before that in terms of webcomics as a platform which enabled certain kinds of self-representation? Mm-hmm. And how did it plug into uh, other ways that people were, were creating trans networks online? So the two comics that I spent a lot of time with, the one I spent the most time with was Venus Envy by Aaron Lindsay. Um, it was like a comics genesis uh, phenomenon. So free hosting, ad supported, and I think you could like pay to upgrade at some point. Um, so I said like, how does, I used uh, Anne Svekovich's Archive of Feelings as my sort of uh, theoretical text to work with here, right? Is like, uh, her phrase is an exploration of cultural texts as repositories of feelings and emotions is, is an archive of feelings, which are encoded not only in the content of the text themselves, but in the practices that surround their production and perception. And how are these things all sort of participating in like public cultures and how do they place like ex- quote, moments of extreme trauma alongside moments of everyday emotional distress. And mm. it just focuses on, on lesbian trauma, but I was interested in this question of like extreme moments, right? Alongside the everyday emotional fabric of transness and how were those things depicted in webcomics, which I suspected would be a good platform for it because of the expectations of like super regular update schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that even if you have sort of your epic storyline or whatever, there's still a tendency to have sort of light and filler episodes. So I was looking at that and I looked as well at, um, oh gosh. Uh, okay. So it's called trance generation, T-R-A-N-S-E underscore generation, um, which I had never heard of before, but which I got to via the links pages, uh, the like archived links pages on the Venus NB website. So shout mm. out archive of our own and also to the practice of links pages as like a a political practice for some trans and queer webcomics right Mm -hmm. totally Mm -hmm. so that I mean that was a lot of the focus of it was to talk about like how did links pages produce relational um networks right between trans and queer webcomics and how did they then link into both larger trans networks right so these websites that would be like um, the transgender support site presented by Melanie Ann Phillips, uh, but also, you know, Venus Envy links out to uh, Order of the Stick and XKCD, right? So <laughs> how, how do these networks um, produce themselves and then produce different assumptions and conventions about participating in those, those reading publics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think mostly my presentation which is like look at these things isn't this interesting Uh, (laughs) but what the one thing that I do want to emphasize if we're talking about like representation and and drawing right the the two trans webcomics that I happened to land on were both enormously anime influenced Mm -hmm. like they both look or, or manga influence right but they both have this other 
level of like, you know, people have enormous sweat drops or they have like a mallet that comes out for comic purposes um, or they have the sort of Goku hair or whatever. Um, But (laughs) it's, it's in these moments where they're talking about like either trauma from being misgendered or they're talking about like, uh, there's sort of a particularly funny one that's like, what does Primarin stand for? Pregnant marrier and horse piss, yum. But it's it's someone <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, you know, quite good, quite good work. Uh, check it out on <laughs> the Wayback Machine. Um, but, you know, it's, it's someone who uh, has sort of enormously spiky hair as well as sort of a, a big jar of horse piss. So <laughs> it's interesting to think about where these ideas about like, if you had to guess how that body was assigned at, at birth, if you theoretically imagined it's like drawn history as a baby, right? It would mainly look like a, a young person's idea of how to draw an anime baby, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that there's there's more substance behind that, except that it's interesting to see the ways that this borrowed conventional style might offer a circuit out of like the assumptions about trying to draw a gendered body correctly mm-hmm. yes i see exactly what you're talking about because that was like huge for me as a kid what like the um the way american superhero comics specifically and like blondie mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. and archie was huge <laughs> for me like the it's almost like the bodies of women versus men were like completely different species like they like occupied a completely different like gene pool because they were so binary in the way that they would depict a female superhero versus a male superhero yeah i mean it's like the the D orcs right where you have the sort of hulking creatures and then um titties uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it was it was it was like, like you know it was like a part of my trans journey to be like look at Archie. This is like very I was very young. I was like looking at Archie and Betty, and I was like, do I have to look like Betty when I grew up? I don't want to look like Betty. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's also I think interesting the the like manga influence, and we've talked about this a little bit before, Kathy, um, on the show, I think, but like the the influx you know of manga in like the 90s and 2000s and like the influence then on people who are drawing comics but also like a lot of shoujo comics the you know the boy characters are very like we in the u.s would read them as very like feminized right like they're very like ambiguously gendered in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um especially in, like bl and and so again like to go back to fee's point about like because i am actually looking at venus envy because i got curious I, yeah, me too <laughs> <laughs> like i think that is interesting too the like the uh the the stylization also sort of offering a different way of drawing gendered bodies that are legible to an audience without like having to do the superhero like hyper realistic it's not even realistic (laughs) superhero like overly emphasized gendered body thing yeah i think a lot of it is the fact that like to an audience who first started reading comics right with manga the gendered conventions are a little bit more legible in certain ways versus mm-hmm. if you start by reading superhero comics and Archie and then you move into it, into, into manga, 
And that's not just, okay, I'm making some generalizations that I don't stand behind. Let me try to be a little more precise here. I think that the, um, yeah, there there is a convention of uh, characters, particularly men who are more more feminine, including mm-hmm. the way that it's played within the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Of in in manga versus American comics, where I would say largely that would not fly, right? That would be in mainstream comics that would be mm-hmm. sort of alarming to a lot of readers. And um, the transnational component of this, right, where this is fairly early in importation of not that early, but like relatively early in the mm-hmm. importation of manga and anime to really mainstream audiences because Venus Envy starts in like 2001 or 2002, right? Mm-hmm. So it's starting to be something where you can, you can, without having to like go to a specialty convention or have like a hobbyist interest in a more active way, right? So there's the question of like, I'm not making any assertions about anime and manga as such when I say that it offers like a different, a way out of that, that gendered representation because I don't want to say like, oh, you know, anime and manga are so kooky and they, they don't have any gendered representation norms. I am saying that to an American reader who's come up with a certain set of conventions about mm-hmm. how gender is depicted, crashing into this other set offers like a, another way to think about these things or another mm-hmm. way to, as you say, provide something that can be a legible way to read genders bodies, but that is not the way that that superhero comics or that that Archie are are using, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like in Sailor Moon, you either wear a skirt or you have a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> the two genders. Right. Assigned top hat at birth. Um, they gave the little baby prince a little top hat and a little cape and, and off he goes <laughs> and he's the only man completely. <laughs> um, we should start moving into our conclusion but are, mm-hmm. is there any final thoughts that we want to I mean that's what the conclusion is man so uh, here, our conclusion uh, what did we learn what are mm-hmm. our goals and what do we want our takeaways to be so I just always love talking to you about this stuff, FST. <laughs> so first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you all so much for inviting me. Yeah. And um, I mean, I think the I'm very with you, obviously, on a lot of this. And I think something that's really interesting for me is to really dig into that social um like oh yeah set of reading practices in terms of like the play like I I don't know that that I think I've mentioned it on the podcast and I know I also mentioned it to you FST but there's a there's a book um by Esther Sepp called Comics in the Body which um she's sort of like analyzing the relationship between like the artist's and the bo- the body of the artist the body of the comic and the body of like the reader mm-hmm. um as like sort of like to see like basically how those different like and that interaction determines the embodiment of the drawing and like how the reader like then can like process that embodiment basically. And and I think this is like an interesting like way of also thinking about that with, with like trans comics specifically, because again, there is that um, everything, all of the gendering that is happening. And this is also true, obviously and not comics, the future trans people, but like the gendering that is happening is all based on like an assumed shared material referent, right. That, um, isn't always critically unpacked. Um, is there anything that you want to like shout out or plug or add? Um, Oh me. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 
I guess I'll shout out the Civic Media Center, right? Where mm-hmm. I do my, my zine research, um, civicmediacenter.org, uh, because I think thinking about like, what are the possibilities and conventions of self-publishing and how do we build like radical reading publics, right? And radical publishing publics is one of the ways that we, we maybe get to a I'll say better place in terms of thinking about representation, mm-hmm. right? Or get to a place mm-hmm. where the, the kinds of media that we are thinking with are more in line with our, our political goals. So civicmediacenter.org. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess, my, my shout out. <laughs> um, I was thinking for conclusion, I was thinking about how early on you said that you subscribe to a social definition of comics, which mm. is I really like that because you also went on to say that being transgender and transitioning is like he has a huge social component to mm-hmm. it and it's just such a, a fascinating connection um that you made we're gonna be referencing this conversation for a long time <laughs> i feel like you brought up so many interesting topics and i mm-hmm. i wrote them down <laughs> it's so hard to dig into everything in an hour-long podcast so mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming and talking with us yeah, thank you all so much. This was this was really wonderful and exciting. And I, um, I really appreciated learning from y'all, particularly hearing more practitioner perspectives, right? Because I think it's mm-hmm. easy to only think about the, the moment where the reader encounters the text, right? Mm. But also thinking about like, how are those contracts negotiated, right? Or mm-hmm. how, um, how is the publisher creator relay informing the conventions that then the the reader learns through these different texts so i'm i'm going to be stewing on that for a long time thank you (laughs) thank you um and thank you to uh thanks to the downtown boys uh for their song wave of history it's off their album full communism it's our intro and outro um you can get their album off of their band camp this podcast is hosted on my art education website comicarted.com you can head over to drawingadialogue.com to view a citation for this podcast which is mostly going to be anytime we mentioned a book or anything like that or a, a um, scholar's name I'll try to get them all into a list um, and also that link to the Civic Media Center uh, mm-hmm. please check that out which I will also plug because uh, when I lived in Gainesville I really the, the Civic Media Center is one of my places, favorite places in Gainesville, and I would like to see it continue to thrive. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you can email us at drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at drawadialogue, so just stands the ING. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Remus Maurice, which is R-E-M-U-S-M-A-U-R-I-C-E. Uh, you can follow me at Kathy G. John, C-A-T-H-Y-G-J-O-H-N. And Fi, where can they follow you if you want to want our listeners to follow you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you, you can follow me on Twitter, but but should you? It's just cat pictures. Um, <laughs> uh, at F. Stuart Taylor. So F-S-T-E-W-A-R-T-T-A-Y-L-O-R. There is a lot of feral cat pictures. I think it's a treat, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big part of FSD's life is being a feral cat uh, connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, shout out <laughs> feral cats. Uh. <laughs> Sommelier of feral cats. Um, now, so- I don't know if Remus 
prepped you for this. Oh, yeah. So at the end of the podcast, we always ask each other what we're reading currently. And it doesn't have to literally be a book. You can just share any media that you have engaged with recently that you want to share. But what have you been reading, FST? Oh, man, I was not prepped for this. Uh, (laughs) So actually, I did just pick up a really relevant book off the featured section at the UF Library, which is uh, Trans Men in the South Becoming Men by Baker A. Rogers. Um, It's a a slim little volume. It's very easy to read. uh, And and I think it has some interesting, like it's it's an interesting book to think about place and how the conventions of gender vary by by place even within the united states that sounds so good (laughs) that does sound really good um what are you reading remus oh oh boy um (laughs) (laughs) i i mentioned this previously but i have been finally digging into um the nicole morse's uh new uh new book uh selfie aesthetics um so it's about um, how trans women and trans feminine people use selfies as um, a way to like, ne- you know, renegotiate identity and um, think through differently gendered constructs. Um, and it's really good. And then for pleasure, the only thing I have been doing for the past like three weeks is playing the video game Crusader Kings. So um, what are you reading, Kathy? <laughs> um i've been reading the power of the dog uh which is a western novel by thomas savage it was made into a movie uh that got nominated for a bunch of awards i don't know if it won anything um that stars a benedict cumberbatch (laughs) oh as as like a western cowboy um (laughs) but i found out that the novel is one of the favorite novels of my favorite author, Annie Pearl. So I was like, I should read the favorite novels of my favorite author. That seems like a relevant to me. And so The Power of the Dog is about two brothers who run a ranch in Montana. And then one of them is gay. And it's sort of about Western masculinity and how it sort of confronts uh, with uh, being gay. And that is like my favorite topic in the world. So <laughs> it's been a delight. Um, the movie was pretty good. So if you nice. don't want to sit and read the novel, you can uh, just watch the movie. It's on Netflix. And Benedict Cumberbatch does not is not does not take away from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get the Cumberbatch defenders after you for that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I- was saying something in a private chat that I was said something about wanted to come batch and my friend was like I didn't know that hating like that he was controversial and I was like I didn't know people thought he was good <laughs> occupying very different spheres of the world I see <laughs> um sorry for the Cumberbatch slander um and I'm thank not. you for everyone <laughs> um it's a good novel i can't i'm excited i'm very happy it's it's very rare for me to be a big reader and i'll sit down and read uh, almost a complete chapter every time i sit down which is it's like very legible yeah Yeah. which normally takes me forever um well thank you everyone thank you fi for sharing your wonderful brain with us and thank you for listening to drawing a dialogue uh, my name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Ramus Jackson. Uh, I'm Fee Super Taylor. Yeah! Uh, solid forever. Bye. <laughs>